I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, Dave Kittle here. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. I am a physical therapist and practice owner at Concierge Pain Relief, own physical therapy here in New York City. And also the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We are currently acquiring physical therapy practices in New York and New Jersey. And today we have a physical therapy colleague on the show. Today we have Mike Pekatowski. He's a physical therapist and the founder and advisor and consultant at PT Practice Sales and Consulting. You guys can check him out on the internet, his website and his firm's website, physicaltherapybrokers.com. And I was mentioning in the pre-interview, I was super impressed that they were able to get the physicaltherapybrokers.com domain URL. Anyway. Mike, welcome on the show. How are you? Great, Dave. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So I appreciate your time and uh, heard you over on uh, Rafi Salazar's podcast, The Better Outcomes Show. Awesome show from uh, from Rafi. And I listened to your interview there. I heard what you had to say about exit strategy, a little bit about exit strategy, succession planning. EBITDA, you were talking about how you help physical therapy practice owners uh, exit on their terms, exit their practice. And I had to get you on the show. So today we're mostly going to be talking about exit strategy, right? Yes. So Excited. let let's start with a practice owner that if they're not, you know, if they're just kind of early thinking about an exit strategy, the next chapter of their life, retiring, whatever it might be, how do you currently define exit strategy in relation to a, a therapy practice and and an owner dynamic? Yeah, to me, an exit strategy is a plan that the business owner will use to identify the right buyer at the right price at the right time with the right deal terms. So it's really a process that you go through to identify, you know, where you're at relative to your goals and where you want to be. And, you know, a lot of the folks that I work with use it as a more of a strategic planning tool early on in their their practices to help them develop that uh, strategic plan to get where they want to be when they're ready to exit. And is it ever too early? Like maybe what's the timeline or is it something that if an owner is looking to exit, they come to you guys, they speak with you for X amount of days or weeks and and then you kind of get going that way? Or is it something like, it could be years in advance. Like what, what type of like timeline should an owner think about when considering an exit strategy and maybe contacting you and your firm or a firm like you guys, wherever they might be, depending on seriousness, like they're looking to sell either this year or like in five years. So like how should, how and when should they come to you and, and what's that timeline looking like? It's never too early, Dave. At the end of the day, again, I think the exit planning, the tools and information that you learn through going through the exit planning process, what really helps people develop a strategic plan from where they are today to where they want to be. So it, I have worked with several folks and more more recently than in the past 
who are very early on in their their careers. They're, you know, the, a couple years, two, three years into their business, but they have very specific goals where they want to go, and they needed help to identify, you know, what's the right next step for them, and and who's the right buyer, and how big do they need to grow their practice to get the kind of cash payout that they're looking for at the end. Those types of questions are all explored within an exit planning piece. However, I would say the majority of what I see is folks that are ready to sell early or as soon as possible. And, you know, that conversation with those owners might be a little bit different because, you know, I may talk with them and say, look, you know, if you really want to achieve these things with your exit strategy, you might want to wait a year because here's two or three things that you can work on that's going to dramatically increase the value of your practice or the attractiveness of your practice to a potential buyer or the type of buyer that they're looking for. And so I always say if you, if for smaller practices, I'd say it's a, about a minimum of two years before um, you, you want to start talking to someone about two years out. And for mid to larger practices, it's probably three to five years before you, you want to start talking with someone just because there's probably a lot of things that you, you want to get in place prior to running a full process, a full sales process. And if you can eliminate any red flag issues or identify a couple things that will help improve the value of your, of your business in, uh, you know, over a six to 12 month time frame, and you implement those and you can demonstrate the value of that when you go to the process, it, you're only going to make the, the business more attractive and more valuable um, upon your exit. Got it. So you said approximately a, a two-year horizon. So have you ever had an owner that is coming to you kind of like last minute or they're kind of already the deal is kind of started and they're almost like they're trying to potentially slap an exit strategy together? Has that ever occurred? And like, what are the challenges around that if it does occur? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. I mean, I've gotten some calls by business owners who are mid-process just because they recognize they're a little bit in over their head. And at that point, it's very difficult to help those folks. You know, you can give them some limited guidance, but you really can't help them, you know, fix issues that that have already been identified or or whatever. So those calls are, are often, you know, the seller don't hear the information that they want to hear. And it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's often a challenge to get them to understand it. Look, you really needed to start this a while ago. I also get some calls every once in a while for folks that are at the LOI stage already with somebody. And that's a little late. I mean, obviously you're able to help some at that point, but you know, that's also a little bit later. The, the right time is before you even go to market, before you even talk to anyone, you want to talk to an advisor, you know, whether it's my firm or somebody else's, but you want to talk to someone so that you can gather the information about the process, understand the process. And, you know, from our firm, we start with the exit plan as the, you know, as the first step, because then that helps us identify who might be the right buyer, the right type of buyer, or specifically the right buyers, two, three buyers, whatever you know, what the term, what the ex expected terms are going to be, what the expected price is going to be, all those kinds of things. So we can, we can kind of help you along with that. So you have a realistic expectation going into the process, you know, what's going to happen, what the deal terms are going to look like, and you're prepared and not caught off guard anywhere along the, along the way. 
probably the best compliment I get, I can get from somebody is I'm, I'm working with a client right now who, you know, type A personality and they know it and they're very, very nervous going into process. And I got a call from the gentleman this week and he was saying, you know what? I've been able to sleep at night now. I feel comfortable. I feel like I know what I'm doing. I feel like we have a good process. We, we just have, you know, I, I just feel like everything's under control, which is very, very helpful during a very stressful time for a business owner. You're only going to sell your business once. So you want to do it right. Right. It's usually going to be the largest transaction of their life. And then if you can kind of help them do things in a more efficient and smooth pattern, you've, you've gone through it many times. And then also, how does that owner, how can that owner even quantify or put a dollar value on like being more comfortable and actually sleeping better so that they're like more relaxed about the whole process? At that point, they probably learned about the process. They kind of understood you were able to manage their expectations about it. So whatever a broker, advisor, consultant might be charging, and folks will have to reach out to you directly to learn more about that. But whatever the fee or the the uh, investment is in that process, I mean, how can you put a dollar amount on it if that owner can actually sleep better and is now more comfortable about proceeding into the rest of the potential deal and transaction? Exactly. I don't know what the dollar amount is on on something like that, but you know, I have seen. Quite honestly, we we've done a a recent assessment of the last five transactions I've been involved with. And the seller, when they've gone through the process soup to nuts, has exceeded their sales price significantly, which far exceeded any commission or sales fee that, um, that, uh, you know, a broker or, or advisor would charge. So, you know, not only are you getting more value for your practice and you're getting it and you're able to sleep at night, it, it's just, it's just, there is a lot of value beyond just what you're paying you know, in terms of the the dollar amount. So got it. And then I was looking at your website. So I was over on physicaltherapybrokers.com and looking at the exit planning component and the first bullet, understanding your goals. So the the therapy practice owner, understanding your goals and timelines. So, you know, every owner is different, right? Some owners are like, I want to exit this year. I mean, maybe they're maybe it's too late for them to be contacting you. But when we speak to them, sometimes they have an advisor or a broker, sometimes they don't. And then they're saying things like, you know, they're looking to exit this year or next year. So for the next bullet or the next bullet or two about practice valuation and practice assessment, are you guys doing uh, an independent appraisal or is that something that you and your firm come up with? Maybe you have an in-house person that's doing the appraisal or is that independent? How do you guys, you know, work that? We do it in-house. We collect all of the, uh, you know, financials and operational information that we need to put together a proper appraisal, you know, prior to um, doing my own business, I was doing this for three larger strategic buyers in the U.S. for many years. So it's a process I'm very comfortable with and I've been doing for years. And so we do that in-house and it's a it's pretty standardized in terms of the types of reports that, that you need. But then there's a little bit of a art to it to get to that adjusted EBITDA and knowing what a buyer will be willing to credit or not credit is uh, critical because if you just go with someone that doesn't understand the business real well, they're going to miss a lot and it's just not going to, you're just not going to get the value out of it. So one of the things I do recommend to folks is if you do choose to use an advisor, get someone that specializes in in therapy practices, just because they know, know the business so much better and will be able to identify things that 
you know, someone who's more of a just a general business advisor or broker are just going to miss. They just don't know the business well enough to to really understand what the the pressure points are from a buyer's perspective. Got it. What are the pros and cons for, I guess, for you guys, if you're doing the appraisal in-house? So we just interviewed another broker on the podcast here, and uh, they were saying that they'll have a like an external independent firm do the like an independent appraisal. And then that way it comes back. And now whatever that adjusted EBITDA number is, they said that it, it'll be more believable, like the owner, it'll be more believable for the owner because that broker consultant advisor didn't come up with it or their firm didn't come up with it. And then also the buyer, they say to the buyer, hey, this was independently done. This was not us doing it because obviously like the owner wants top dollar and the advisor consultant broker will get you know a commission off of top dollar. So obviously they want the highest amount there. So what are the pros and cons there in terms of the in-house appraisal and coming up with that adjusted EBITDA number, which obviously you should and your client should and will want to negotiate as large as possible, depending on ad backs and, and all that versus another firm where they're using like an independent appraisal service. Sure. So the quality of earnings process that is what you're describing is, you know, whenever you go to sell a practice, the buyer's going to have their own appraisal done anyway. And they will engage, a, you know, someone to do the quality of earnings. Now, if you can agree ahead of time, to use an independent entity, then that's a fine process to go through. However, what, what we do is by doing it independently, first, it, it saves a lot of money because, you know, it's just something that's part of the fees that you pay for with our service. But ultimately, when it comes down to the buyer and they're using their own independent firm, they're going to ask a lot of questions and may not know the business as well as as you know some of the pt advisor brokers because you know they're more general business type people unless they've done a lot of transactions in the pt space so they end up using a lot of the information that that we've developed anyway and and i've never really had an adjustment from a buyer on a a um, quality of earnings process from what what we've prepared the good news is we end up in the same place but we can do it a lot cheaper because those things can be pretty costly to pay for in advance. And I think you'd find that you're going to save some money by having someone that can do it in-house. Got it. And then under exit planning on your website, there also you wrote pro forma. You have that as a bullet. So is that something you're going to you're going to come up with? So typically I the owner or the uh the seller, the owner, you're going to help them with this pro forma and that factors into valuation or does that factor into you're going to present that pro forma to the prospective buyer about Hey, if you, you know, if you increase staff X amount or based on the financial. So how does the pro forma come into your whole planning with the exit planning? It could be both. It depends on what the timelines look like. So if the buyer's interested in selling years on down the road, what we're doing is putting together a pro forma based on, you know, hey, we've identified um, three items that you can work on over the next six to 12 months. And if you successfully implement them, this is what the pro forma would look like. Or if the buyer has, you know, wants to add a, a clinic or take, you know, close a clinic or something along those lines, we can integrate that into a pro forma so that they can see what that is going to do from a financial perspective, but also what that would do to their valuation if they choose to sell. And so, you know, for the long-term planners, it's a really good tool 
that helps them identify strategic goals, targets that they need to hit, helps them identify, you know, conversations that they need to have with their staff and individual goals, uh, more specific goals that will help them achieve their overarching strategy. Um, it, it's just a really good tool that, that helps them, um, get where they want to go for the short term folks that really only comes into play if, if it's needed. I mean, if I get a call and someone wants to sell within the next six to 12 months, we can still do that. You're just not going to have as much time to make any corrective actions. If we find anything, what we do in those scenarios is identify those things and say, look, here are a couple of things that you need to be aware of because, you know, a buyer is going to probably want to correct this issue post close and, and just, you know, it's not a, it's not a big deal now, but it's something that an opportunity for improvement down the road. The other piece that, that we do is a compliance assessment, um, for that, for that folk, for those folks. And that compliance assessment may identify some areas that you need to clean up. And so that's a piece for the short termers. That's probably where we spend more time getting through that compliance assessment to identify first off, are there any red flags? And if the red flags, you know, that might be something where we have a conversation. We need to stop doing this, start doing it this way. If there's no financial impact by making that change, then it's not a big deal. We just want to be very open and honest. Hey, we identified this. We corrected it. Here's the plan that we put in place. And then we're open and honest with the buyers about what's going on. If it's something that has a financial impact, that may be when you have a conversation with the seller to say, look, this is an issue. A buyer may or may not be interested in buying with you because of this compliance issue. But here's the corrective action. And it probably is going to cost you X amount of dollars in EBITDA or, or whatever over the course of a year. We can quantify that. And if you still want to go to market right now, we can, you know, kind of be open and honest about it with a buyer. Say, look, we've identified this. Here's our assessment of what that's going to cost. And we'll just factor that in. So. There's a, you know, there are multiple things that can come up with, with any kind of uh, exit planning strategy that, um, you know, that are going to be helpful either in the near term or in the long term, depending on what your goals are. So that makes sense. So either the, the practice owner and you and, and the team will have to potentially clean up some of those things because if you'd still take it to market, like you said, it could affect or probably will affect their, it's going to affect the valuation and therefore the overall, you know, asking price or or potential offers, right? So, and if they want to go to market, then you guys can disclose that because otherwise a buyer will they'll probably find some of those compliance issues anyway. Or they're going to find it. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, they're they're going to find it. So, or or the the practice has to clean those things up, and then now the uh, the the sale might be pushed another year or two, depending on how long it takes correct. to correct those things. Correct. Again, that's why it helps to start the process with a little bit more lead time than than normal. At least two years for a small practice, and three to five for a mid-sized large practice. What's the um, shortest or tightest timeline that you've had a smooth process, if that's possible, or or an owner that you know got what they were looking for and and also didn't have any compliance issues, no speed bumps or hurdles? Well, that um, that's you're hitting hitting the nail on the head. I have had clients that have great practices. There really wasn't much uh, to work on and they're ready to go to market right away. And that's a different conversation, right? So we go through the, the the planning process and say, look, you've run a great practice. There's no meat on the bone here. You know, you're ready. 
you're ready whenever you're ready. You know, uh, you know, we'll talk more about who might be a good buyer, you know, philosophically, operationally, who, who's a good fit. And it's more about finding the right buyer at that point than it is about uh, trying to scramble to, to fix anything prior to going to market. Do you see any common themes with some of these therapy practice owners where they already have their house in order? There's no compliance issues. Like maybe they're a more business savvy practice owner. They're probably less likely to be treating patients where they're not working in exactly. the business anymore. Exactly. They're, they're usually it's a, it's a business owner who, um, has done a great amount of succession planning. They have great people around them, you know, great clinic directors or uh, leadership within the within the clinical side that they feel comfortable. They don't have to be overseeing what's happening in the clinic every minute. And they're focused more on the business at that point. So they can focus on things like compliance and they can focus on things like, um, you know, looking at the operational metrics and identifying opportunities and um, go go to a, you know, a a class or or something like that that's going to help them understand or, or do an exit planning strategy and help them understand what might be the right things that they need to work on to help maximize the potential of that business. Yeah. That's the theme typically is, is that the, that person has, is no longer treating, not necessarily never treating, but just they're, that's not the largest part of their day anymore. Got it. That makes sense. And then typically those practice owners, I'm assuming uh, there's going to be some variance here, but I'm assuming those types of practice owners will either have a, a shorter process, like the the whole, you know, uh, process working with you will probably be shorter and Correct. potentially they will probably be able to negotiate a, a, a larger asking price because everything has already been in order and they've been yep. focusing on those things for years. Yep. Um, as far as the asking price goes, yes, that that they will definitely, because they're, they're, their house is in order, it'll be more attractive. So they'll get more aggressive offers. But what the having the house in order like that will really do is make the diligence process very quick and efficient. If there's any kind of delay in in a process, it's typically in the diligence stage. And, you know, diligence can last typically last 60 to 90 days anyway. And it really depends on if something's found during diligence that needs to be worked out. So if you have a very clean house and, and the house is in order and there's nothing found, you just breeze through that process. And we're, we're, you know, we're preparing closing documents within 30 to 60 days instead of, you know, instead of uh, working through whatever diligence items came up. Got it. So then how about the next step in the exit planning process? So in terms of prospective buyers, do you have owners that say, obviously you want to get their input and then, then the, this situation will have your input as well, right? So you're going to know regional buyers who might be the right fit potential buyer for this type of practice, but also you're getting the input from the practice owner. The practice owner may say things like, maybe they'll say, I only want some smaller regional buyer. Maybe they only want uh, a fellow colleague, you know, practice owner buyer, or they might say, Hey, anyone, it could be a corporate, it could be anyone that is looking to make an attractive offer because maybe that's the biggest thing they're focused on. So where do you kind of balance between, you know, you want to take in the input from the owner and then also you're going to have probably suggestions and ideas of who might be the best buyer. So we start by educating on the different type of buyers out there. You know, there are several, obviously you have the strategic, which is a large big boxes that everyone's known and heard of. You got the regional 
regional consolidators, you know, that are operating in their market or a market very close nearby. And then you got the um, practice owners across the street, you know, uh, that might be a potential buyer. You can look also internally. Um, maybe you have employees who'd be willing to take on ownership or an equity stake within the business. And then there's some new buyers out there. Um, there are these, I, I call them the techno buyers. They're only for certain types of practices, but there are new buyers out there that are leveraging technology to drive patients through practices or, or drive patients to clinicians. And those, those folks are looking for facilities as well. So it has to be the right fit. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you educate the, the, um, well, again, I, I forgot one, one other one. If, if you have a big enough practice, you always have the option of going through some kind of equity buyer as well, a private equity firm or, or, or similar. So, you know, they're going to be looking for more what I'll call platform or mini platform size deals, usually, you know, eight, 10 plus clinics to, to, uh, build a platform around. But those are also buyers that, um, you know, that can be considered depending on what the goals of the seller is. So we talk through an education process of, of the different types of buyers out there. You know, usually there's one or two that the, that the seller will say, yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I think that's what I'm looking for. So then we talk through a couple of the potential buyers within that, those categories. Um, here's how you operate and, you know, here's how this particular buyer operates. And it may be a good fit, it may not be a good fit. There may be something that I know about that business that I can help that help educate about. I might not know the the regional buyer real well because you don't do a ton of business with those guys. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's identifying who is going to make the right fit, not only for for you as a seller, but you also want to extrapolate that down to your staff. Most most sellers that I work with have three main questions, you know, how much am I going to get paid? What's going to happen to me afterwards? And what's going to happen to my staff? So, you know, we start to explore those three topics, those three questions with the potential buyers, the buyer types, and what the expectations are going to be from the various buyers in for those three pieces, purchase, price, employment of the seller, afterwards and what's going to happen to their staff. So isn't that all like typically uh, not dictated by the owner, but the owner is going to say like the owner is going to already have their preference, right? So some owners are going to say, I'm looking to help with the transition for, you know, maybe three months or something like that. But really like they're, they're trying to move on to the next chapter of their life. Maybe they want to travel more. They might move to another state, whatever it is. They'll kind of want to dictate that, right? Or, or they'll, it depends on the buyer though, because then the buyer might say, well, depending on the financials and the stability of the practice, they may want that owner to stick around for one or two or three years, right? So how, how does that conversation go? I know every owner in practice is different. Yeah. So, um, I've worked with buyers who are very clear that they want to exit within a short period of time. And that's fine, but we just need to be upfront and honest with a, a buyer about that. Um, to, to make sure that they understand that's the goal of, of the, of the seller. And that's going to impact things. That's going to add risk from a buyer's perspective. This, this business, the physical therapy business is and always will be a relationship business. A strategic buyer or, or a large buyer has enough resources that they can put a clinic across the street from, from your clinic tomorrow. But 
if they don't have the relationships that you've developed over the years, they're not going to be very successful. And that's ultimately what a, a buyer is purchasing when, when they do an acquisition. They're buying the relationships. So if that owner has those relationships and they're saying, but I'm leaving in, in three months, that's a very different scenario for a buyer. And it's going to either impact deal terms or purchase price or both. And so you educate the seller on, on, on that um, and say, okay, we can do that. Just recognize it's probably going to take a, a little bit off the, off the top and what we can get. If you're willing to stay, stick around for two years or, or longer, then I think we can, you know, that's going to be a much for play for a buyer. And those folks are going to be, they're going to be a little bit more aggressive or, or a little bit more attracted to a business like that. Got it. So just to recap those top three questions that you say that owners typically care about the most or ask you the most. So you said, one, how much can I get paid? Like, you know, how much purchase how much price? Can I, purchase yeah. price. Uh, number two, what's going to happen to me afterwards? And then number three, of course, what's going to happen to my staff afterwards? Now, a buyer wants that staff to stay in place, right? They want stability. They not uh, always. Not okay. So, so give it, give us an example. Maybe if someone is, maybe is not productive or underperforming or what. So it's it's usually not the clinical staff that there's any sure. challenges with. It's the, typically there might be some redundancy with the admin or billing staff. Correct. Right. Correct. And so there may be some synergy that a buyer is going to be interested in, maybe replacing a, a billing department or, or or something along those lines. That's not always the case, but it it. it in some cases, that will be the, you know, that is something that seller needs to be aware of. Um, if they've had somebody in that, in those roles for, with them for 20 years, that's something that they may not be able to stomach. And so again, it's, it's walking through that, the expectations from the lens of a buyer as you're going through this process, just so you're prepared and you understand what you're, what you're asking or, or not asking as you go through the process. Um, so people, you know, if they are not aware of these types of things, they have a, uh, an idea. This is, this is the type of buyer or this is the buyer I want to go with. But once they start to peel back the layers of the onion, they recognize that might not be the right buyer for them. And sometimes they change gears. Sometimes not, but sometimes they change gears. You so just want to give them, give everyone the tools and, and education so that they understand and can make the decision that fits what they want to do the best. Right. So if there's an owner out there that doesn't want that 20 year employee that's doing admin and billing to not be let go, to not be fired or whatever, then they would probably want to look to either a, a smaller buyer, but not a corporate buyer that's going to immediately already have, you know, regional or national billing and, and a call center and all those types of things. Right. Correct. Correct. And, and billing, quite honestly, good billers are hard to come by. So most strategics aren't going to eliminate billers. But there are other functions. If you have, you know, finance or, or, or different, different functions in the back office, but that's that sometimes it's billing, sometimes it's other uh, functions. It really depends on how the seller's business is set up, their business model, their, their administrative model. And if there's any redundancies there that, that a strategic or, or buyer may, may see. Got it. So when you have this uh, conversation with these owners, they're again, they're giving you that input. You're saying here's their options. Now, the next step would be if you guys figured out who might be the potential ideal buyer, or you ideally you probably want to have, you know, a couple offers, a couple of different buyers come in. Are you putting that practice 
on like a, not your website. I don't, I don't see like a broker listing, but I know some of these brokers are, are doing like, they have an email list and they put the anonymous practice, you know, on market. Um, do your transactions and deals, do they go on market anywhere, like anonymously on market? Or do you do all the private contacting to buyers directly? Like, how does that go? I know that would be important for owners to hear. Yeah, I have relationships with 32 strategic buyers in the US right now that it's an email or a text just to say, hey, we create usually something called a teaser, which is just a high level summary of the business. Um, a general geography of where it's located. And we send that along with a non-disclosure agreement and say, hey, here's a practice that's coming to market. Here's a little bit about it. Um, here's about the geography it's in. If you're interested, let's get an NDA signed and then we can, then we can start to get you through the process from there. So, you know, that list of folks that we start with, usually we get it down, you know, depends on what, what the seller is interested in, but usually there's, somewhere between um, three and eight or 10 um, potential buyers that we're going to uh, be interested in talking with for any particular deal, sometimes more actually. But um, but at the end of the day, it really depends on what the buyer's goal is. And if we, there are some people that you made or some buyers you may just want to eliminate right off the get-go based on the, the, the seller's goals. And there's some that, um, you know, that you may want to add, you know, a local practice kind of thing that you want to explore in addition to other buyers. So you might have a list, it's probably about eight, you know, eight, eight potential buyers that we start with. And, and then I reach out to those folks directly. And if it's not anyone I have a relationship like with a, such as a local buyer, um, we get their information and, and we'll just call them directly and, and establish that relationship and, and get them the information to see if they're interested. And then how do those conversations go? Do you usually have, you know, three-way phone calls with the buyer and the seller, or are you doing mostly the, those interactions? And then you kind of report back to the therapy owner, the seller. How do those steps go? Yes. So that's really just the tip of the, the, the sales process. Um, so we, we, we start with that. Let's say you're starting with a list of 10. We send out, you know, the teaser and NDAs to, to 10 different folks. Let's say eight of them are interested and sign NDAs. So now we, you know, we've already eliminated two. And the next step is we issue something called a SIM, a confidential information memorandum to, right. to the, the sellers that sign, to the buyers that signed an NDA. Um, and, you know, that has a lot more information around there. Typically the process would, would go from there to an initial offer, you know, so of the eight, maybe six are interested and put in offers at a specific time. Then we're really starting to work through those offers with the seller. And, um, you know, there's probably a management meeting in there as well, where, where we're either meeting in person or online with the buyers and the sellers just to get to know each other. You know, the offers come in and we start walking through the offers with the sellers to help them understand what the offers mean and provide guidance as to which may make the best fit for their financial goals and, and philosophical goals, their exit planning goals, all, all those things. And then we try and, you know, usually whittle it down to two or three that are most interested in and work to get a letter of intent from them, which is a more formal offer from the folks. At that point, they've done a little bit of homework, bit of homework on the practice to make sure it's something that they're interested in. And um, that's that's when things get really, really uh, 
interesting and, and serious because now we know we have someone, two interested parties, the buyer and the seller are extremely interested moving forward at that point. Got it. And that that, that LOI is non-binding. So whatever that offer might be in there, it, it could change. But for, for the most part, it does show, like you said, it shows that they're putting you know time into it and that they are that prospective buyer is uh, a lot more serious. So it also kind of helps with you with like qualifying who's really serious moving forward. Correct. And then, so typically it funnels down probably from that point, right? In terms of how many of the total LOIs you're going to get. And then, you know, you and the owner are going to go back and forth and continue that process of, uh, you know, weighing the pros and cons, who might be the, the best fit based off of those terms and what they're offering and all that. Correct. So then in terms of the next couple steps, I mean, really then it gets into evaluating the price and the terms, what is in the best interest of the owner, what they want, you're giving them guidance along the way. What are the next couple steps? I mean, at that point, you're getting uh, closer to... Once you sign the LOI, you're going right into diligence and you're looking to close somewhere about, generally about 90 days from the time the LOI is signed. Sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more, depending on how things go. But um, um, generally, it's about 90 days there. Got it. Excellent. I think that's a, a good, you know, review of exit strategy, exit planning, and then kind of going all the way from there into, you know, close to the finish line. Then those three months are going to be, like you said, due diligence, financial due diligence, legal due diligence, looking at, looking at everything, all that stuff. From, yep. looking at everything. You're helping these owners along the way. So are you speaking with them during this whole 90 day process? If it, you know, approximately 90 days, are you speaking with them every couple of oh, days? Yeah. Is it, you know, weekly uh, touch points? Typically, there's we have one-on-ones with the seller to to kind of just update and explain what's going on. I'm working also usually with the buyer to address their questions, get them the information data that they need, and usually attend all of the diligence calls between the buyer and or the seller or the the you know whoever needs to be interviewed. So I'm just sitting in on those and and helping facilitate those meetings. I don't really, I don't run them. The buyer's running them. But if there's a question that's asked that the seller doesn't understand, or, or if there's a question that we don't have the information on, we, you know, I will start to follow up and see if we can get that information. And so it's just, I sit on the entire process, soup the nuts, because there are a lot of things that can come up in those calls that we need to be aware of. And sometimes, you know, if there's something that we can get out in front of, if something comes up in diligence, we might be able to put the fire out, you know, before there is one, you know, just by being aware of what's going on and, and being part of those conversations. Excellent. I think that's a good place to just pause for now. I definitely got to have you back on the podcast. There's so many other topics that we can uh, dive deep on. Um, that, but that gives a great uh, outline and a great perspective from from you and, and helping so many owners. It also, I believe it helps that you're a physical therapist with your background and you were a VP of operations in, in a big national company, physical therapy practice. So definitely helps to have that perspective. And you have been in these physical therapy practices. You know exactly what the treatment looks like, what the dynamic looks like. You've been in that mix for, for years, if not decades. And that way it lends a lot of credibility and authority to you and your firm that then you're helping practice owners, uh, you know, take their initial idea of timeline and, you know, considering potentially selling to the point all the way through across the goal line and getting them to uh, their next chapter of their life, getting this deal closed and making sure that their staff is taken care of and figuring out everything that's going to happen to that owner after the sale. 
Yep. Great, great summary. Excellent. So guys, you can reach out to Mike Pekatowski at physicaltherapybrokers.com. What's a good place elsewhere on the internet, Mike? Maybe your email address or LinkedIn, or what's a good place you want owners to reach out to you and learn more? The, probably the easiest is just my email, which is mike at physicaltherapybrokers.com. Excellent. We'll leave it there. We'll definitely have you back. I have several different topic ideas. We only have so much time right now allocated <laughs> to this call, so we can't we can't go crazy. I wanted it to be we wanted to be focused on exit planning, and hopefully we accomplish that. We'll definitely have you back on sometime soon, Mike. Really appreciate your time, and everyone uh, check out physicaltherapybrokers.com. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E painrelief.com or you can call me at any time 646-781-8884.